These are the dialogues of a peculiar character. My name is Thomas Gideon. Join me in chasing my peculiar passion for beer and brewing through conversations with the amazing and curious people who work in the beer industry. I look forward to sharing with you the fascinating stories about how and where beer is made and served, whether that is mere minutes or many hundreds of miles from my home. I continue my tour of breweries and businesses in Howard County with Manor Hill. It's located in Ellicott City, a little bit off the beaten track from where I sat down in the last episode in Columbia. My guest this time, Kurt Kroll, one of the more experienced brewers in the area, as you'll hear getting his start with some of the oldest breweries in Maryland. Manor Hill is the oldest farm brewery in Howard County and is definitely part of the generation of breweries that came up a few years back when the state liberalized licensure around farm breweries. Like the other farm breweries that I've spoken with so far in the podcast, Manor Hill is situated in a beautiful setting, if a bit off the beaten trail. Unlike Waradaka and Brookville, it has strong ties with an existing restaurant and sibling businesses that have started up since. There is something about the entrepreneurial spirit of the farm brewer, though, that I think you'll find to be in common with the folks that I spoke to both at Brookville and Waradaka. Just because they have slightly different backgrounds doesn't mean that you won't recognize, I think, a kindred spirit here, both in Kurt and in the place where we sat down to talk. I'm at Manor Hill, sitting down with Kurt Kroll, the head brewer. Welcome, Kurt. Thank you for having me. <laughs> First question, sir. What called you to beer? Oh, geez. Um, this was 2003. Uh, we had the new craft beer thing had just started happening, but I went to a place called Iron Hill and had a Irish red that they put on nitrous. And I drank that as fast out of a pitcher than most people drank the other beers out of a pint. So I decided I wanted to start brewing after that. <laughs> sort of love it first taste. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. From that first experience to here, what led you to Manor Hill? That's a long story. But um, I started off at Heavy Seas. At that time, it was called Clipper City. Worked with uh, Chris Mellon and Ernie. After about two and a half years, I had made friends with Jim Wagner at Duclaw. Decided to jump ship, as it were, and work with them for a while. And that was about five and a half years. And then um, it just made the right decision for me to leave. So I came here about a year and a half ago. And So when you came here... Manor Hill had already been open for... About a year and a half, maybe a year. 
think it was it was a year and a half. Yeah, the first test batches, if I did my research mm-hmm. right, started uh, springish to mm-hmm. 2015. Yes. So yeah, about a year and a half. So I'm curious, from your perspective, you can tell me a little bit about. Um, I recognize this before your time, but um, the inspiration to open a brewery, the family, uh, the Mariners that own the property, own the farm, mm-hmm. already had a successful mm-hmm. restaurant. They've since owned, opened, much more recently, a couple more. Yes. I think Jason wanted to venture into that that idea and take it as far as he could go, and um, he convinced Randy to let him build this up, and Jason went searching for brewers. He, he started with one of his friends, and then he hired Ben, and uh, they started from there and tried to build a brand. And it's been growing ever since, so... Uh, I understand there's some affinity or inspiration with uh, a Colorado staple with a recognizable, um, thinking Oscar Blues. Mm-hmm. According to the website, anyway. Oh, I don't read the website. Read yeah. the website. Um, <laughs> so that's not something that's uh, like Colorado. Like no, he just wanted to do a farm, a farm to like home ingredients, like local. I mean, we're using uh, malt from a guy I used to work with, the Duke Law, that started his own monster. We're getting stuff from Copper Fox, talking to other places that just open up, like Proximity, just local ingredients. I mean, we're using corn from the front yard and the Pilsner every time and some other things. So, yeah, I guess if that's the Oscar Blues thing, then, yeah. It's just that they also have a farm, mm-hmm. uh, a cattle farm, okay. like the, the farm here. Oh, okay, uh, yeah, I don't, the, <laughs> I keep my nose to the grind and just <laughs> try enough. and do my job. <laughs> fair, fair enough. So the tasting room we're sitting in, mm-hmm. what, what do you know about that in terms of, when I walked up, it's a it's a fairly distinctive looking building, mm-hmm. it's stone clad part way up, cast iron ornaments. Uh, most of this d- decor is from uh, the farms, far, uh, barns that the manors, mariners have bought and stripped down the same stuff they're using at Victoria's or Food Plenty or the tavern. It's all reclaimed wood from barns. And you can see that on the field up on the top of the hill. So they're trying to keep that rustic down-home feeling. If you go to Food Plenty nowadays, it's it's that's a beautiful restaurant. <laughs> I went the first time after it opened. I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> but yeah, it, they're, they're just trying to keep the down-home feeling. So it has a, a very consistent aesthetic mm-hmm. in terms of uh, how it looks, how it feels in the space with that yes. local ingredient, that yes. local story. Oh, yes. Location-wise, a little off the beaten path. Not hugely off the beaten path, but actually pretty well situated in mm-hmm. terms of Columbia being somewhat equidistant from Baltimore, yes. D.C., how do you see that affecting, especially the tasting room? Is it locals? Is it a lot of beer tourists from either end? Um, I, I see a lot of breweries becoming destinations. I mean, you go to Northern Virginia, and those are hikes every time. This isn't that far off the beaten path. I mean, but yeah, it is like 108. I've never gone down here until this opened up, and you go down to Weardeck or Brookville, and it's it's the same thing. You just drive, and you're like, "Am I there yet?" But it's not that far. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's that's the whole mentality of these these places these days as I'm seeing it. It's 
it's an experience as opposed to just going to a 7-Eleven and buying a six-pack. Or perhaps um, a bottle shop mm -hmm. or a bar that's just in yes. you know commercial complex. Mm -hmm. So you think the that distance that you have to travel kind of helps set the mindset, like the oh, yeah. the yeah. views that you see in the drive-in yes. kind of help oh, you. Yes. A lot of people are like, is there a brewery back here? Yeah. Yes, there is. <laughs> So you think they're, people are getting habituated? They're expecting it now. They're like seeing. I can yes, I I can see that completely. It's 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 not just you're going to your local packy and getting a Budweiser or whatever. You're you're going to try their their take on an IPA or a stout or whatever, and it's you're going for their product. It's also that sort of. Um, well, this is a large enough space. There are enough people here. Surely a brewery must have sprung up to mm -hmm. serve that. that oh, yes. yes. Yeah. I mean, now I saw this happen about seven or eight years ago after I started professionally brewing, how it's going to be localized. There's, there's going to be very few national brands. It's all going to be like England was in the early days. It's just brew pub, brew pub, small thing, kind of like Portland got a hold of instantly. I don't even know how they did that, but nationally, yeah, I, I could see this happening a while away. Little five, ten barrel brew houses. You touched on the local ingredients. You mentioned the corn that goes into your mm -hmm. pilsner. It's unmistakable when you park in front of the tasting room, the trellises, mm -hmm. the, the wires for the hop vines. You grow we, an appreciable amount of hops here. We we hope so. I mean, it's it's that's an undertaking that I've seen pictures. Uh, I've had friends go to California and the miles and miles. It's a, it's an undertaking. So we're trying to figure it out. Are you harvesting hops of a quality that you've used them in beers thus far? Or are you a still bit, a little bit? I mean, it's not enough. Oh, we, there's there's we don't have the acreage to do sustainable. I mean that that would take everybody's houses out of this neighborhood. Just make it hops. <laughs> so yeah, I mean we're using as as much as we can out of what we get, but it's not like we can only use that exclusively. So, so how are you using it? How do do you approach using that versus hops that you're so sourcing through we'll do, usual suppliers? We'll do one-off things. And that's about it. I mean, there's that's it's it's a small enough hopperage that it's we'll get one batch out of it. If but we'll use a little bit in every like we'll do one major one and then we'll spread it out over the year. Using that more for finish, dry hopping, just, wet hopping? Probably finish, just to get the flavor, because if you bitter it with it, you won't get any of the flavor. So. And you're growing which it, variety? It's Centennial Chinook Nugget, and I would believe Cascade. I always forget the fourth one. But um, it's Cascade grows like a weed in Maryland, so... It's it's fun thing, and it's not even Cascade anymore. It's still just... It's this new hop they could probably... Really? So you think there's a because it's being cultivated here, mm -hmm. it's drifted enough from the soil changes it. I mean, you just throw it down and it'll you water enough, it'll go, and it it doesn't taste like the old Cascade. So you never know. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Oh, it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's localized thing. You you'd probably call them Maryland Cascades as far as I know. What uh, what flavor, if you can describe it, do you think makes it distinctive uh, from like uh, a traditional it, it, West it Coast Cascade? Changes. Well, it's it's. Centennial gross, it's probably more herbal. Totally different thing. Let's talk about the brewery for a bit. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about your brewing setup? Describe the system and sort of how mm -hmm. the vessels are laid out. 
It's a two-vessel system, single infusion. So the kettle is jacketed, the mash tun is not. So we mash in at one temp, hopefully hit it perfectly. This thing has had, we've had very few issues with runoffs and all that stuff. We've got eight 30 barrel fermenters and five 15s, two 30 barrel bright tanks and one 15 bright tank. And a couple little guys floating around for specialty projects, but um, we can max out at 1,500 pounds of grain. It's, it's pushing the limits to get what we got. And then you use the, the necessary evil of corn sugar, but every brewery does it, even if they say they don't. When tastes tend to go more towards uh, dry beer or something like the very popular IPAs, at least until the introduction of the Northeast style, mm -hmm. were trending drier and drier. So corn sugar helps with that for sure. Mm -hmm. But you can hide that if you cover it up in the beginning. Is that uh, a function of the fermentation character or you think that that's like... Alcohol. You can only fit so much grain in a certain size vessel. And if you want to do 10, 12%, and you can only do, you can do a uh, starting gravity at 23, but you need something else, it's, you need that extra. So you think that alcohol sweetness, if you are using adjuncts, it's not producing an appreciable difference at that point because it's just that alcohol mm -hmm. sweetness. It's not like yeah. the residual sweetness that might be left over from yeah. I mean, the barley. You'll, you'll get some dryness out of it sometimes, but sometimes you don't even notice it. It's just how you work with temps and mashing. You have 14 taps here? Yes, we do. So the the brew house, especially the, the number and variety of vessels you described, that's in large part to ensure that you've got good rotation through the, the we, taps? We or? try. Yeah. We try. I mean, we're trying to keep our core beers going as much as we can because that's how you get your name out and people come back. But we'll usually have five or six. Right now we, we have a full list. Sometimes we'll be missing two or three, but that's just the time of the year and schedule dependent. So... So five or six core beers, the rest seasonals, mm -hmm. we'll one-offs. Right now we are doing two first Friday beers, as we call it. Two random, depending on what we want, 16-ounce releases. We, we sell out of the tap room here. And, uh, last, last month we had two cans, but then we had a couple tap only for here. But we'll have easily like three seasonals, as it were, monthlies. That's a pretty impressive variety. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a lot of work. Challenge to keep up with yes. that. Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 Just scheduling. Sure. And it's a, it's a, represents a pretty considerable breadth of style. And then even variation within the style. Yes, to a point. We're trying. Yeah. We're trying. I mean, we did a, a farmhouse a couple months ago with uh, Black Narrows. This month was two IPAs. Last month we did a Imperial Rice. Uh, porter and then is there a, a philosophy or a guiding thought that kind of threads through those or is it we look at the time of the year like I'm not going to put out a, a imperial rye porter in August we'll do something else but there's some mythology to the madness I guess or thought process to it but yes so more of a seasonality are there 
particular flavors that you think make up like a house house flavor or house style for you? I'm trying. Uh, I mean, I'm trying not to have a house flavor, but every brewery does. I mean, it's just the yeast you have, the uh, malts you have hands to. Just trying to keep it a little interesting every time. How do you come up with all the names with oh, so many beers? <laughs> That's the hardest part. That's been the hardest part for years. Yeah. I mean, it's just usually comes out us just sitting around a, at a bar when nobody's doing anything and somebody spouts out something and it's just like oh that's a good idea like uh, the brothers don't shake hands i was just texting millhouse at three stars and i'm like i'm gonna call it this just randomly he's like oh that's awesome then we had to pass it along to make sure it was approved and it worked so coming back to the ingredients mm-hmm. again to, to talk and unpack more that uh local aspect of the story here there's certainly sort of that um, sustainability or, or ethos of local. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that yields uh, better flavor or brings certain qualities oh, yes. that other... How so? Well, it's just, it's fresher. It's more, I mean, you're, you're getting it as soon as it's available, like instantly. Like we're getting the peaches from uh, Steve Marsh, who now works at Checker Spot, but he's he has his own farm. We use that in the farm fuzz, and then uh, we're going to get some pears he found at a local market for the uh, next kettle sour. So, I mean, I just it's it's fresher. It's not processed to the point where it's mudded down. I guess the trade-off being you have to do perhaps maybe a bit more processing yourself than luckily, like bulk purees. That you yeah, I mean, there's a little more process, but luckily Steve Marsh has been doing a lot of that for. <laughs> So. That's excellent. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Makes no. your life easier. Oh, yeah. Are there challenges? So in that instance, uh, you've got some some assistance, some help there. But are there challenges in ensuring that that freshness, those other qualities come through in working with those ingredients? Yeah. I mean, you have to use it as soon as you get it. So it, there's no smoking, no pasteurizing. There's Yes. You, you have to handle it properly as fast as you can put it in there as soon as you can so it's all timing i mean a lot of the fruits are like we get from him or season depending like you can't get strawberries in november from them so but yeah so it's a lot of freaking out what fruit can we get at that point that's not the puree that everybody else can get make it local you mentioned a collaboration with Black Narrows, and I know you've done a few other collaborations, mm-hmm. um, Inertia Creeps with mm-hmm. Oliver, mm-hmm. and I was surprised in preparing for this conversation, uh, collaboration with Downtown Crown. That's fantastic. Oh, that was, yeah, that was a while ago. Yeah, they did a, was it called Bread Juice? Yeah. That was workings before I had any hand in it, so, but yes, that was one of the interesting ones because we did one with um jace at uh, meridian pint and then we did one with wine source called york so yeah it's that's a whole different whole different beast doing collaborations with uh point of sales kind of places how so how is that different from say you and steve spending a day on your deck or his deck that, that gets to everybody and it's just brewers having fun with other brewers the other ones are, are key point businesses, business decisions that, you know, we're told to do something like I'm told to do. It's just one of those, it, it's, it's walking in ice sometimes, 
but uh, you have to do those. There aren't moments in that where you still can't find like some way of like some inspiration, something playful to. to oh no no! The, the, when you inspiration, just that with those, yeah, it's just they want this idea and you got to do it, and it's a, that's the hard part is getting their idea put out. And on business side, it's a different ball game, but but it was fun doing the York because they wanted this bigger version of what a beer we did, and we did everything we could to make it. That way. <laughs> and it worked out. I'm not sure that I've seen other breweries actually do that collaboration, though. You say it's kind of necessary for the business. That seems to be, uh, unless you disagree, it seems to be something distinctive that you guys are doing. That you're no, there's um, other other breweries have done like down like RER does individual. They've done it a couple times. I mean, it's just certain breweries have done a like you go to downtown and you brew beer just for them. You go to wine source and you beer just for them some other places have done and I just I don't get them because you have to go to downtown to get it fair enough that's the that's the a hall from here yeah, yeah. Fair enough. well it's it's also just limited kind of it's out it's out of the brewery but it's limited to the one location sure so it's a potentially standing in line situation mm -hmm. competing with people who maybe are interested in it as much for the beer as they are for bottle sharing bottle trades but it's also you're at one, that's a one point of sale that another point of sale will be like, yeah, it's, it's, Why not it's us? a slippery, yes, it's a slippery slope, but it's, it is what it is. It's a business thing. So that's, <laughs> I don't have a word other than, I'm just making the beer, just making the beer. Setting aside mm -hmm. business constraints. What styles are you drawn to? What, what's your favorite kind of beer to make? Oh, I got to do the porter this year, and I'm I'm set for the year. We just did a straight porter, not the sleeves, just a five and a half percent porter, and it was it was really good. Like I was happy with it. That's uh, my personal yardstick beer mm -hmm. for a brewery, so I'm encouraged to hear that mm -hmm. to hear a brewer embrace oh. that style. I don't know any home brewer that doesn't have a porter recipe in their backlog, just because. That's yeah. They don't sell as well as you'd like them to these days. One day, maybe. But, yeah. I also feel like it's a style that um, might be hard to discriminate it from a stout. There's a lot of raging argument. Are they separate styles or not? But I feel like it's it's like art. You know it when you see it. Mm -hmm. Like, you know a good porter when you see it. You know that somebody's no. got the process down. And as a, as a social beer, lower alcohol, mm -hmm. you know, it but, takes a little more skill. No, I, I learned a stout can be a porter. A porter cannot be a stout. A stout can be a porter. But a porter, porter cannot, cannot be, be a stout. stout. That's this is back in the day learning. Deep. Yes. Well, it's just a porter can't be as big as a stout because then it becomes a stout. But stouts can be lower. Understood. Like Scaled Guinness. Down. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Guinness is four, four three. Yeah. You do a porter at. Ten percent. People. Then you got to call it a robust porter or imperial porter. Those whole lines. Like, what's <laughs> sure. an APA versus an IPA versus an EPA versus an XPA? <laughs> it's, uh, well, now we're back to the business, right? That's that's the, the marketing. marketing. That's yes. how you're kind of chasing trends, and I think we already have a sense of where you fall. But let's lean into that a little bit. Okay. That that. Uh, how much are you distributing and how do you balance 
sort of the, the conversations and uh, the opportunities in the tasting room, what you're selling here versus what you're packaging for outbound sales. We're tr we try and package as much as we can out of here with our limited volumes. So, I mean, we're sending, I don't know the numbers, but we're, we're self-distributing into Montgomery County Wednesdays and Fridays at least right now. And if need be another day, if we have to drive down there, but we're sending out as much as we can there. We're going through a dist distribution at Legends and then we're selling what we can at the restaurants. I mean, we have now three restaurant, yeah, three, <laughs> to keep up with it because you never know. There might be a fourth I don't know about. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's keeping the uh, product in the restaurants while keeping the tap room uh, stocked with a reason to come here, um, keeping the Montgomery County places happy and keeping Legends and Baltimore and their outer places stocked so they can sell stuff, so. It's a slippery slope. Speaking of those restaurants, do you approach what you make for distribution differently because you've got those three restaurants? Or do you see that as consistent with what you're doing with Legends oh, no. and consistent across I mean, the board? Yes. Yeah. I oh, know. There's, I mean, other than like the, the downtown stuff, there's no, it's, we're brewing it. We're trying to get it out to them. Everybody gets it. Oh, yes. Okay. As much as we can. That's the, that's the make everybody happy. That's the hardest part. <laughs> sure. A lot of the breweries that I've talked to, a lot of brewers that I've talked to, owners, other folks in the industry, um, talk about their place in the community, talk about their relationship in the community. You see Manor Hill as part of a larger community. You host uh, events here in your tasting room. Yes, yes. Do outreach and things of that nature. Yeah, I mean, um, we, we're doing the Ellicott City Music Fest every year right down the road. I mean, I drove through that town when it was decimated because that's on my way to work and I live, I can walk down there. That's right. That's the storm that, that yeah. flooded out. I mean, Ellicott I got City I got impacted the Nepenthe homebrewing mm -hmm. store. You know? Oh yeah, that was a big one. I mean, I got calls like, are you okay? And I'm like, I was so high up on the ground and I saw the news and I'm like, holy crap. That was an eye opener. But it, it had happened like two years before, but not as bad. Just too much infrastructure built around this damn town. So. <laughs> so you're stepping in uh, at that time, and you know, other breweries were stepping mm -hmm. in and, and yeah. solidarity and mm -hmm. trying to help Yeah, out. jailbreak was doing something. We were trying to do something as a local. I mean. You also have hosted festivals here. You've done last fall, you did sort of a Yeah, we did a festival. farm fest, yes. Yeah. Uh, trying to build up the local market. We had local vendors. No, we had yeah, we had a lot of vendors come here. We had um, an ice cream maker show up, a, a coffee roaster, um, Lapa Lapas from downtown Ellicott City was here, cooking things. It was just yeah, it was it's local food, and then we had our beer on tap and other things as a side, like a the fun part of the festival. <laughs> Top of the food. Is that something that you're thinking about as part of that seasonality? Is mm -hmm. is um, hosting events like that, pulling in other other businesses in the community, uh, members of the community, as much as we can fit them in? Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. There's no reason not to. I mean, there's a lot of farms down up and down this this road, and little big businesses. So fantastic. Are you following what's happening at the state house? So the time we're recording this. Uh, we'll have hearings. Yes. No, I, I'm not big in the politics. A lot of people try and explain it to me. 
I'm sorry, I'm just not. I'm. It's going to happen. I mean, I can do as much as I can, but me personally, I know the new bill is a travesty. And I thought it, I thought we were going in the right direction. And all of a sudden, be like, no, no, no. Somebody. I mean, Maryland has always been um, closed for business in my mind. I've seen small business, even though any politician, it just. So you think, you say any small business, you're not thinking just no, craft industry. You I think mean, this issue is beyond the, yes. the captive interests of, say, d large distributors mm -hmm. and, and retailers. I just, I've, I mean, just hmm. my personal aspect, I've never seen Maryland as a small business state. Even though people are like, no, we do this. I'm like, do you see what you're doing? It's, it's, it's always been this way. I've been trying to get out of this state for 40. <laughs> you've, so you've been other places where you see... Uh, I mean, it's just, the laws are just so hard and construed sometimes. They're like archaic and they're trying to keep it that way, not, not advancing. So you're not optimistic that... I'm sure that... Yeah, well, it... I'm <laughs> it is what it is. It it's is politics. what it is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do do I think this this will work out? Hopefully, because it'll be beneficial for everyone. I mean, look at, I mean, for breweries, they can go to Pennsylvania or Virginia and just you sign a piece of paper. Well, and guess Pennsylvania what? and Virginia are actively recruiting breweries yes, based because on they, what you observe. They will make the money off yeah, of them. It's, sure. And it's just I don't know. The liquor board in this state has always been interesting. Interesting is a good word. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, I used to work for bars, and it's just it's just listening to the uh, the buyers and all that stuff. I never had to handle in that, just sitting back. But it, it's it's it seems a lot harder than it should be. I think that's, that's a fair observation. That's that's my view. Not. I think thankfully we do have a lot of brewers and owners who. Uh, are very active on this issue oh, yes. and and actually do seem to have good handles mm -hmm. on the politics. I, I should be more involved. I know that, but I'm here all the time, and I have to take a break from thinking about beer, unfortunately. Sure, and I appreciate that. That's the struggle. Like everyone I talk to, no matter how far established they are, the work always expands beyond. Mm -hmm. you know, there's always that call to grow more, to think about how grow, how to grow responsibly. And then on top of that, in Maryland in particular, you at least have to have some awareness of what's going on at the state house, yes. whether you're yes, able yes, to participate yes. and push push the boulder up the hill, mm -hmm. or uh, you're too engaged with just keeping your business going. That's fair. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Nice. So speaking about things other than politics and eh, outside, we can room, talk politics all you want. I don't care. <laughs> well, fair enough. Yeah. In that in that realm, what do you find? as a cause for hope or optimism or what do you find interesting that has some there's, intersection with brewing? There's a lot more breweries opening up to fight for it as opposed to a few years ago where there were like five. There was Heavy Seas, Flying Dog came in, there was Oliver's, there was Brewer's Art and there wasn't much to fight for. Now... 85. Yeah, now they're popping up Yeah, and hopefully a lot, all of them will survive. And... Uh, each, I think, in respective counties, like very different mm -hmm. characters oh, yeah. and That's, sort yeah. of different, oh, yeah. different approaches. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of solidarity. We have a trade association here in the state, mm -hmm. Brewers uh, Association of Maryland, mm -hmm. providing, I think, good focus and tracking on some of these issues. Yeah. Support for brewers who don't necessarily have a lot of time. Yeah. No, we got people. I mean, there's, yeah, our owners are 
doing their due diligence, trying to fight for it. I know that. I just <laughs> I just sit back. Your job is my to job make is to make sure the fermenters are filled. Yeah. And the grain is here so Fair we can enough. keep brewing. And why is that broken again? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. People who follow you, especially on Twitter, mm -hmm. uh, may be familiar with this thing that you tagged, the little book. Oh, yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Oh, I was like starting here? to do... Yeah, um, I went to school, and I have a photo major and a computer animation major, which went nowhere, because I didn't... Photography, I didn't want to be a wedding photographer, because that's what you did in Maryland. And I didn't know anybody anywhere else. So, no, this is... I've been drawing since I was eight, I guess, mm -hmm. I finally got back into drawing about three or four years ago. And I have this little book that's like two and a half by four. I tried to do a daily. It's fallen off a little bit because we got really busy here. <laughs> but yeah, no, I try and keep that up. I mean, I was doing the, uh, I'm doing a couple labels here. Uh, I did the Crooked Peak uh, picture. I did the Brothers Don't Take Chance main part where they're hugging. And then the, my old friend, the dog, I drew that. We're going to have a couple others that I get to have a hand in. The Roots and Sales I did with uh, Black Narrows. We try to keep that, like, one half us, one half them. And it seemed pretty well. But, yeah, the little book is just me doing whatever little picture I can find. It takes about half an hour a piece. I have an art major that I did nothing with either. Mm -hmm. it's, it's what happens. As you do. Mm -hmm. As you do. From the outside, it doesn't look like it's dropping off. I appreciate that you say like it probably ebbs and flows based mm -hmm. on how busy you are here, but mm -hmm. I, I find that fascinating mm -hmm. that, uh, that that's something that you do consistently and it's something that seems to spark some conversation from time to time with yeah, no. other folks. Yeah. No, I try and I don't want to lose that. If I lose that, then pretty much dead inside, I guess. <laughs> like if I'm not drawing every day or at least something here and there, you know, you, you don't want to give up hope, but you don't also want to lose that. It's understandable. So. And, a, and a small page mm -hmm. is, uh, mm -hmm. it's an interesting creative constraint on the one hand, but mm -hmm. it's also a, a nice, like manageable invitation to try to keep up a daily practice. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I just bought a Surface Pro to try and go digital, but that's going to be, I don't have time to learn that damn program. <laughs> <laughs> got to set it up, got to troubleshoot it. Well, no, I have, it, I have it installed. in there, but it's just using the, the program is harder than anything. Pencil and paper are so easy. Simple. Yeah. It's right there. I know Hands what it off. is. I know what it'll do. I'm buying other things, but yeah, so. But you got that Surface Book for a reason. Is there, is there something you're hoping to do with uh, digital artwork that is not as easier as apparent with pencil no, and paper? I, if you look at my artwork, it's mostly comic book related. I've been buying comic books since... G.I. Joe first came out, stuff like that, like 88, I'm that old, so, um, yeah, if, if, if I weren't doing this, I would hope to be doing that Wolverine, Spider-Man, whatever, Batman kind of thing. Most people know that, so. I think it's pretty apparent for other comic book readers like myself that, mm -hmm. that that's the case. I mm -hmm. think that that, that shows through in your, in your hand when you're yeah, gone. I have, I have pull boxes in two stores and locally, so. I go today. I'm not going there today, but I'll go tomorrow. So yeah, I have a stack that's probably three, four months behind. As you do yeah. when you collect well, comics, yes, happens, yes, you yes, get yes. So, but no, that's what I'm trying. That's why I do that, just to keep that active. Yeah, my grandmother yelled at me if I wasn't drawing. <laughs>
And you find that intersection with the business still, mm -hmm. like whether that's necessarily why you do it or not, the fact that you're mm -hmm. able oh. to contribute in ways. Oh other yeah, than no, I, I, I like the fact that they allow me to do that. Cause I mean, I got a few at heavy seas back in the day, one or two or two called out, just was dependent. We were doing a collaboration. I'm like, I'm doing the all work and they're like, okay. But here, yeah, no, they, they appreciate it. I mean, it, it adds to the hands-on kind of business to it. Well, and Heavy Seas, especially when they changed uh, the branding, when mm -hmm. Heavy Seas went from a line at Clipper yeah. City to being mm -hmm. the, the total brand image of the brewery, uh, that must have been like fun imagery to play with, the the, the pirate theme. Oh, yeah, the, I had fun with those. The mascot. Jolly, the Jolly Roger flags. Yeah. I had fun with those. So, yeah. Yeah, the 22-ounce series, yeah. I remember that. Damn Mahine. <laughs> yeah, those were some fun beers, creative names. Yeah, yeah. No. Delicious, too. We tried. Yeah. I mean, it's always a, it's always a battle. That seems like a, a good way to balance a struggle, though. Like the large format, which I know is is increasingly less popular. Yeah, nowadays. And nowadays, um, still that being the case, like to put out your cores and twelve ounce <laughs> cans, mm -hmm. even to put out some of your recurring seasonals in that same format, but have bottle releases where you can play a little bit more limited runs. Yeah, it's. it's I mean, you have to have the, the three tier. You have to have the d distro. You have to have the sales. But it's also fun to just put it out here. You know, it's two days or a day of, or maybe a week old, and you know you're getting the freshest. I mean, back in the day, we were so happy to get a bottle of an IPA that was at least a month old. I mean, you would get something from uh, New York, and you're like, "Holy crap! It's a month old. This is fresh." Nowadays. <laughs> That's evidence of your your earlier point about that trend towards localism. Mm -hmm. Like that oh, yeah. goes hand hand oh, yes. in hand. If you've got a, a a brewery like I do, not just one but two, five mm -hmm. ten minutes mm -hmm. from your home, I mean, that completely changes your perspective yes. on what fresh beer is. Mm -hmm. And the game goes goes up on that too because now you have like hysteria right down the road. You have Black Flag. You have Jailbreak. You have this new place I don't even remember the name of that just popped up. I, yeah, yeah I see, there's about breweries that. I mean, Crooked Crab's about to open up in Odenton, where I used to live, and I, I gotta check them out. It's just, keep your game up. If you slip, there's, they'll, people will know. There's always somebody willing to sell into that space to sell mm -hmm. a beer where you might have missed an opportunity. But that's also the fun part, is it's batch to batch. But there, there is some consistency that you have to have, but it's also hands-on. Also, that my sense is that, uh, it's not as competitive as it might seem when you say that. Like, there's still a lot of camaraderie. Like, collaborations are part of it when brewers just mm -hmm. just get together and get a moment to just kind of creatively come up with whatever they want to do. But also, when you do have hysteria and black black flag down the road, that if you need help, or you need some information, uh, something. Sometimes, I mean, it, within it's, reason. Back at, before, like it was the three or four of the breweries, and I could ask anybody any questions. Nowadays, it's a little. So sometimes the numbers grow. It's harder to know everybody as well. Oh, yes, that that's one key. But it's also they just want to keep their their fun stuff to themselves. Sometimes I've noticed that. It's just, I mean, I could ask questions. It's just it's it seems a little, the the that camaraderie is a little different these days. Sure, sure. As a function of scale, maybe as a function of competition. Competition. Also, maybe when you get past like 
it's still it's not great like we were saying earlier to to operate a brewery in this state but it is slowly getting easier like the fact that you guys can self-distribute in mm -hmm. moco i know oliver even up in baltimore sees that as an advantage that they can have uh, a truck come down a couple of times a week mm -hmm. um and that's Oh, and that's, they get a better yeah. margin through that self-distribution, so oh, yeah, they see no, this as a, as a nice supplement. But if that's the case, like it starts to lean more towards it being a little bit easier to operate. Maybe you see people who are in it for reasons other than the love of the beer or mm, that core yeah, Well, it's, all, it's always a business at the end yeah. of the day. I mean, it always is. But to me, it's always just, we're making beer. This is awesome. But, you know, it's just, it's, it's, everybody has to make, has to pay the lights and make sure they're selling and... The camaraderie is a little, for me, lower. I guess that could probably be a side effect for my personality because I'm, I'm a curmudgeon. I'm, I keep to myself. But if somebody comes up to me, I'll, I'll easily talk to them. But it's just one of those. It's, it's a little different these days. In my, in my view, anyway. But yeah, I don't know how to, <laughs> I don't know how to word it other way. It's just. I'll, I'll say hi to people, but, you know, it's not one of those we have conversations every, like Oliver, Steve Jones, I'll, I'll text him every day and call him some stupid derogatory term, like Millhouse and all that stuff, but yeah, the new kids are a little, little different. I might be outgrowing them, I don't know, my age, because they're all like 25 these days, and I'm like, crap. <laughs> That's a fair point. That's a fair point. The, the industry has been established long enough since the days of Clipper mm -hmm. City, mm -hmm. since Oliver, that, yeah, a whole other generation of brewers are coming in. Mm -hmm. and that, that could be a factor as well. Oh, yeah. it's a good insight. Yeah, just just di different generations. Is there anything I haven't asked that you would like folks to know about what you do here at Manor Hill or mm. Manor Hill in general? No, we're just trying to be a group, do everything as we can. I mean, there's no competitions indoors here. It's just, we want to do beer. We're going to make sure it comes out the way you want to do it. I ask questions of everybody here, get their opinion, and then go forward. Does that extend to um, your assistants were here when we sat down and mm -hmm. prepared? Does that extend to you see that as like a teaching moment? Or yeah. Is it, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've <laughs> been doing this for a decade almost now just shy of and I've seen a lot of things and if they're not asking questions well that's that's the air compressor okay we can let that finish <clears throat> yeah I thought it was a helicopter at first oh, no yeah, now just, that you say it yeah it'll kick off in a second because the um, draft line uses some of that yeah yeah get to learn all the noises of a brewery the hard way doing this no, that's the, the, I always tell people the first thing you learn at a brewery are the noises. Because you hear a pitch change, you better figure out why. <laughs> no, it, it's 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 a safety thing. I mean, like yeah. I'm teaching people, it's like you don't just walk around going, oh, I mean, you didn't hear to that. Pay attention. Oh yeah, yeah. it's. The, it, I mean, it'd be the most minute thing. It changes, and you there's something, something's wrong. Yeah, there's the ambiance noise of a brewery is a key point to any brewery working there. Like the brewer, if he can't pick that up, you're not paying attention. Even with my one little earpiece, I can still, oh crap, what was that? That's not right. Mm -hmm. Something sounds off. Yeah. yeah what just happened? What just broke? Yeah. <laughs> Me hitting the cord. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically that. It's it's one of the, just, you learn it over time, the noise of your brewery. 
and I've been to four different warehouses now, and they all sound different. You just hear some pitch change, and you're like, oh, crap. What's coming up next for Manor Hill? Uh, we are going to do the next Inertia Creeps with peaches and pears. Uh, we have a more New England-style version of Citra. We're calling Citra Stupor. I call them ugly IPAs because they're hazy. People are like, what? I'm, I mean, I came from a school where everything was crystal clear. And we worked hard to make it that yes. way. Yes. It's, but it's just as hard to keep that damn stuff hazy. Sure. And nobody really appreciates it. Like, oh, you just turn off the filter? No. You look at California yeast the wrong way, it'll drop out, even if you don't filter it. So you're not... Uh, when you do make it, you're going for the that authentic haze. You're not throwing handfuls of flour. No, 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 no. No, we used to put oats in the boil, but we don't have to anymore after we've read some things and learned some things. and Biotransformation. Yeah, the biotransformation, as I turn my head around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's yeah, I mean, we, it, we are starting to turn around, I guess. I mean, we're getting good reviews on the uh, IPAs, except for a couple of people. Always There's always people. somebody. There's, There's always, always somebody. the trolls, yes. Yeah. Um, after that, we're doing um, a collaboration with a place that's opening up hopefully soon. Name due to be determined. Um, yeah. I don't know. They, they're having... It's always legal battles. Names, names, trademarks. Yeah, so names, many challenges. You know, at this point, it's just... The, every name's been used, and we have to start using paragraphs for names. It gets ridiculous. <laughs> Or uh, icons or glyphs of some sort. Mm -hmm. Oh, the geometric thing is, drives me up the wall. This isn't 1980s and neon. It's fun, but put a little effort into it. <laughs> Anything else coming up? Any events? Uh, no, I don't know any events until the, um, the, the summer. I haven't been told any of that stuff. So... Fair enough. Well, we'll stay tuned to the website and mm -hmm. the social oh, yeah, definitely stuff like that. Instagram, fantastic. Twitter, Facebook, all of that. Kurt, thanks so much for sitting down with yeah. me today. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>
Permission to recycle those further is granted under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 United States License. That means you're free to change this show as much as you like as long as you don't alter credits and you share your changes under the same license. Theme music is Slow Burn by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.